0: Amen. That is a, a beautiful song and a powerful song. Come and behold him, the one and the only. The one and the only. There is none like him, church. The Lord is mighty and he is the source, the giver of life to every living thing. He is not created and there is none to his right or to his left, and yet he invites us to know him through the person and work of Jesus, his son. And so be reminded of that this morning as we dive into his word. We are continuing in our mini-series, now that I'm doing it for a second week in a row, in the Sermon on the Mount. Today we had originally planned for Eric to be uh, preaching uh, a sermon in order to inaugurate our um, our move to weekly communion weekly a uh, weekly time at the table of the Lord's Supper um, Eric is still recovering from sickness and we felt it most prudent to just uh, push that down the pipeline for a moment and in the Lord's kindness and in his sovereignty uh look at the weather we wouldn't have been here anyway so this is a neat thing that uh we can see the hand of God in the smallest of details in organizing um our life and practice as a church and so uh praise God for that and I'm very excited to continue in this little mini series um very excited. So we'll be in Matthew 5 again. We will be picking up where I left off last week. And so, in particular, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And um, to give you a quick recap, last week, if you uh, were not here or did not tune in, we looked at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes um, are a series of. Of statements that are um, blessings if you will from Jesus Uh, but what is particularly interesting about these is for one beatitude means supreme blessedness and so Jesus is teaching both his disciples and the crowd what it means to be blessed and how to obtain supreme blessedness because these blessings are conditional and the most important thing regarding the entire Sermon on the Mount, is to know the thrust behind it in the context of what's happening, and it's this. I'm going to remind you, for those that did hear last week's sermon, and for those that didn't, uh, this will be new, is that in verse verse 1 of chapter 5, Matthew writes this, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, that is Jesus, He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and so we see this point. It's early in Jesus's ministry where he has called his disciples. He's been baptized. I'm kind of going in reverse order. He had just called his disciples. Prior to that, he was baptized by his cousin, John the baptizer. The father spoke his identity to him and declared him to be his son, and his ministry had begun but this is still in the early the early time of it he does this seeing the crowds he goes up he leaves them he goes up a mount and when he sat down his disciples came to him this marks the disciples leaving the crowd they are parting ways with the crowd to be joined with Jesus and this is the call To discipleship for all that you might leave the crowds that you might leave the world you know and be joined to him to sit with him and rest with him and then he gives in this context he gives the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes were particularly pointed towards the disciples but they also served as a standard of true righteousness in truly how the world works because we see these conditional blessings and we see that the least of these are going to be inheriting the most rewarding of blessing. The, most, uh, the, most, uh, the blessings that have the most reward in this world. And so we saw that it's the poor in spirit who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's the meek that will inherit the earth. It's those who mourn that are comforted. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that will be satisfied. And so Jesus gives these blessings that, again, are conditional on you being the type of person that he's saying the disciples must be in order to be blessed with the particular outcome. And so he spoke that to those who left the crowds and joined him and who left everything they knew to submit to Jesus as the Christ. And so it is from there that we pick off, we pick up we pick up in verses 13 through 16. So if you will, read with me. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the one who calls us to yourself. You have come from the glories of heaven above. You came as a man, and we bear witness to the fact that you incarnated among us and that you called men unto yourself and that you fulfilled every obligation, every necessity that the Father called you to and that the law demanded, and you became for us our righteousness. You became sin that we might become your righteousness. And so we praise you today, and I pray that we would see the call to discipleship, that we would see it in full view of the cross and in full view of the last day when we will see you face to face. Lord, give us clarity in your word today. I pray, Spirit, that you would cut and divide from within, and that uh, your word would be magnified in our hearts and in our minds, and that you would be exalted in our midst. Jesus, we praise you, and we ask that you would move now. In your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. So picking again picking up right off of the Beatitudes keep in mind this division this separation from the disciples and the crowd the disciples have been joined to Jesus and Jesus says you are the salt of the earth he's not speaking to the crowd he's not speaking to the crowd this is directed at those who have left the crowd and have joined Jesus the crowd simply hears the standard of discipleship but the statement is not for them you are the salt of the earth I have three points for this sermon and um, they the first two are intentionally cheeky I wanted them to be memorable okay so if you're taking notes the title of the sermon is simple salt and light but my three main points are stay salty the second point is stay lit and the third point is glorify God I hope that my that my uh, future self 20 years from now isn't embarrassed by these um, These subtitles, these divisions, but I wanted them to be memorable because i feel I fear that much of the modern church glosses over the Sermon on the Mount in general, but in particular what it mean, what it means to be salt and light um, because salt has become such a commodity to us in modernity that we don 't quite understand what Jesus means. Some things make sense, but there 's A history of of salt and its value to society that we're gonna look at um, because without it you don't understand what Jesus is saying and the disciples do understand what he's saying and so we need to bridge the gap and so my first point stay salty Jesus says you are the salt of the earth the emphasis on you again this is to the disciples but we must ask the question, why salt? Why salt? Well, there's three, uh, there's three things that salt does, okay? Salt purifies, salt preserves, and salt seasons. Those are its three primary functions, at least with regards to this text. Salt purifies, salt preserves, and salt seasons. Salt was used to purify that which was offered sacrificially to God under the Old Covenant. In Leviticus 2.13, the law says this, You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. This is because salt, in the giving of it, was also part of the sacrifice. Salt was very uh, rare. It was expensive. Uh, it was only in modernity that we've discovered how easy it is to uh, mine and to procure from the ocean and other in salt mines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but it was very difficult to mine uh, in the ancient world. And so in the giving up of salt, on the sacrifice not only was it itself part of the sacrifice but its main function was to purify and if you think about salt salt this ties to its its uh, function as a preserver it was it kills bacteria it kills bacteria um, in a natural sense but this was seen spiritually too in that it chose it was a it had a function of purification also As I've already stated, salt has been used since ancient days as a preservative. Not only does salt prevent spoiling, but salt itself does not spoil. In a sense, salt is eternal. So with this in mind, with both its purification properties and its preservation properties in mind, there were perpetual covenants given under the law, uh, really under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and they would be called covenants of salt. There are two, really. There, there, you don't see them very often, but there are two. The first one we find in Numbers 18, verses uh, verse 19. Uh, he's In the law, we're, we're seeing what is... Um, What's owed to the priests, to, the, to those who perform in the temple or in the tabernacle and then in the temple? And uh, the word says this, All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you. He's speaking to the priests, to the Levites. And to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. And if you've read all of the Bible, I hope you've had, it's very easy to gloss over that and not wonder, what is a covenant of salt? What is a covenant of salt? But it's tied to its perpetuity. Salt does not spoil. And in a sense, it is eternal. It is eternal. So, um, in that sense, it is a sign for a perpetual covenant. Again, in Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5, the word says this ought you not to know that the lord god of israel gave the kingship over israel forever to david and his sons by a covenant of salt this one is particularly important because we know we know that the covenant given to david is eternal indeed and it has its fulfillment in jesus as the son of god because we see through The word through his genealogy that Christ himself was or is a son of David and He Having died once and risen from the dead. He can no longer die again And Jesus is the eternal fulfillment of this covenant, but this covenant is called a covenant of salt A covenant of salt So We see an an obvious connection to uh, the Jewish understanding of salt, in that it purifies and in that it preserves. And then, as I've mentioned earlier, there's the much more general um, general value of salt that societies across the world understood. Um, it was rare, and therefore it was valuable. In fact, salt was traded among many cultures and peoples, and it's where we, it's the etymology of soldier um, and sailor, both derive from salt, because one of the very things that they traded to travel across lands and to kind of ease uh, their way into places was offerings of salt, because it had so much value, and so look it up, uh, the etymology of both sailor and soldier are derived From salt it was valuable and all peoples understood its value and so I want us to take note then of this because of its value Jesus in saying that you are the salt of the earth he's actually saying that the disciples those who have been joined to him who have taken him at his call they are valuable people They are valuable to the world. And this is consistent with almost the upside-down logic of the Beatitudes. Because in the Beatitudes, we would looked at it that it's those who are poor in spirit that will inherit the wealth of the kingdom. That it's those who mourn that will actually be comforted. It is those who are meek that will actually inherit the earth. It's not the strong or the violent, it's the meek. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that will be satisfied. It is those who are merciful that will receive mercy. It is those who are pure in heart that will see God. And it is those who are persecuted that will have the kingdom of heaven. And so the Beatitudes almost present us with a world that looks nothing like the world we know and the one that we currently live in. And Jesus maintains This thinking this upside-down nature of the kingdom of God by saying you are the salt of the earth you are valuable to the world whether they recognize your value or not you are the salt of the earth the world will hate you and you will be persecuted yet Jesus says that you are the most valuable commodity to the world why Because you, as one who now belongs to Christ, have been given to the world on Christ's behalf to purify it and to preserve it. You are the salt. Therefore, you have been sent by God. If you belong to Christ, you have been sent by him to purify it and to preserve it. Next, salt seasons things. This one also is fairly obvious. This one we do understand a bit more. Salt makes things good. The saltiness of salt is desirable. In fact, it is known by its saltiness. It's known by its saltiness. Salt is supposed to leave a taste in one's mouth. In the same way that We are the aroma of Christ. We know that from the rest of the New Testament from 2 Corinthians. In the same way that we are the aroma of Christ, as salt, we ought also to be the taste of Christ to the world. In their spiritual blindness, they may not like the taste of salt, uh, but that is not for us to change. It is God who will give them taste buds to taste what is true and good but we ought to leave a taste in someone's mouth because we are salt we are salt and then now another sub point you are the salt of the earth the first emphasis was you meaning you are salt but now it's you are the salt of the earth emphasis on the are Jesus states in no uncertain terms that you are salt. You have no choice in the matter. You have no choice in the matter. This is what discipleship really means. Because you have heeded the call of Christ and have left the crowds to be joined with him, you now belong to Jesus. You are no longer your own. You have no say in the law he speaks or in the hand he deals. You have no say. Should you rebuff his law and his declaration, you will be left worse than when you started. For if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Salt that has lost its saltiness is no good. In fact, the only reason salt is known to be salt is because of its taste. When saltiness is gone, it can no longer purify, it can no longer preserve, it can no longer season, it is worthless, it is worthless, it has value to no one, therefore it is thrown out into the streets to be crushed underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. May we maintain our saltiness. My next major point stay lit. You are the light of the world. Emphasis on you. This is the same formula from earlier. This address is exclusively for those who now belong to Jesus. Light has many functions, but in regards to this text, I have identified three main functions. Light illuminates, light gives direction, and light gives life. Light casts out darkness, and it reveals things for what they really are. Without light, all would would remain blind and be trapped in darkness. Only in the light can the world see truth. The light, therefore, reveals the truth of God and his rule and his reign to the world, that they might not remain in darkness. We see in John 1 that Jesus was the light that came down so that men might have might see the light and become light in him. And so Jesus says in no uncertain terms that you, disciples, you are the light of the world. If you aren't familiar with Plato's cave, I would recommend you look it up after uh, our time together this morning. In Plato's cave, to paraphrase it, Um, He basically says that until people see things for the way they are, they're like those who are trapped in a cave who are looking at a cave wall. And there is a puppeteer of sorts behind them with a little bit of light, just a little bit, and he's casting shadows. He's making shadow puppets. And they're looking at that cave wall, and the whole time they think, that is the world. That is reality. And even though there's a little light there, the light is skewed, and it's only one direction. And therefore, they think, they think it is truth. But you, church, being the light of the world, must shine brightly because much light is required to cast out much darkness. If you really want to reveal to the world the way things really are you must shine brightly your illumination must be strong light gives direction it serves as a beacon or a lighthouse if you will even from a far distance light shines and therefore gives a bearing to those who are lost And wondering. There potentially are people in your lives now who depending on how much they know you and how close they really are to you they might see in you something strange something different they don't quite know what it is but it stands out from the crowd Hopefully, that thing is the fact that you belong to Jesus. That you are not like them. Because you know the Christ. And from a distance, they see your peculiarity. They see your strangeness. And that is exactly how it should be. And as they draw near, may your light grow brighter and brighter and may it expose things to them. A city on a hilltop shines brightly, for it is the collection of many lights. In the same way, the church is filled with many lights that all have their source in the light, Jesus Christ. In a real sense, we are like the moon. The moon often shines very brightly on a clear night with a full moon, and all of its light is sourced from the sun. It's the most amazing thing, we take it for granted, but have you ever looked on a clear night when the moon is close and full, and you can see things? It actually is casting a shadow because it's that bright, it's magnificent looking, and yet it is a fraction a very small one at that, of the light that is actually uh, radiating off the sun at the center of our universe. The moon's light is sourced from the sun. And in the same way, our light that we shine is first sourced from the light that has come down. And so may we shine brightly because his light is there. It is abundant and it casts out darkness always so may we be like a bright burning light that is sourced from the true light of heaven next light gives life by God's design the entire earth is given life from the power of the Sun Light is a source of food for plants, and it brings health to mammals, and without it, there would be no life on earth at all. Light is necessary for the world. You, you are the light of the world. Consider that you are necessary for this world, because this world ultimately belongs to God. And he has called you, if you belong to him, to himself so that you might shine brightly. Next, we see that you are the light. Emphasis on the are. Again, you are the light of the world. Like before, Jesus states in no uncertain terms that you are the light of the world. Again, you have no say in the matter. You have no say. Should you choose to be burnt out, should you choose to cover yourself up, you are no longer light. And if you are no longer light, what good are you? What good are you? Light that no longer shines is not light at all. In fact, if light is not shining, it does not exist. Do you you see how important it is? It's... Function is uh, key to its survival. Its identity is so tied and intrinsic to its function that without shining, it's not light. Therefore, do not hide yourself away under the basket of fear and shame. Rather, stand high and stand firm as the light of the world. Stand high and stand firm. You are the light of the world. Third point, glorify God. Glorify God. We, the disciples of Jesus, are the church. And as the church, we are the prophetic witness that Christ has left in the world. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is literally bridging the gap from the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, and he's bringing the disciples into conformity with his will in ways and giving them true, a, a true um, move. He, he's revealing truly what the fulfillment of the Law looks like in him. And so... With this happening, Jesus is preparing his disciples to complete his ministry after his resurrection. And it starts here. This is not separate from the rest of his teachings or from what happens in the book of Acts. But this is his call to them. And he's giving them the law of Christ. And so we... As those who have been joined to him are the prophetic witness that he has left in the world. Therefore, we must let our light shine. Therefore, we must be salty. If we hide, if we hide our light, if we lose our taste, we're, we are acknowledging not only that we do not trust Jesus, but that we actually do not belong to him. Remember, he made in no uncertain terms that you are salt. You are light. This is his design. Do not rebuff him. But then we must ask the, must ask the question, how do we know our works are actually good works? Or in other words, what is it we must do? Well, He explains much of this later in the Sermon on the Mount, but the litmus test is given here. The litmus test for our works is this, that God, through us, that God is both seen and exalted. Seen and exalted. This is how we know that our works are truly good, when they reveal God the Father. You see here, In verse 16 in the same way let your light shine before others so that they meaning the crowds the world so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven and so there's this juxtaposition made that the father he's still in heaven that's where he is and so you as those who have answered the call are the visible witness of God on the earth. Christ came and we know that he is the, invisible image, the image of the invisible God. We know that from Colossians. That Jesus has revealed to us the fullness of the triune God. And yet, there is still much mystery. We still see through a mirror dimly or through glass darkly. We still see we still have much more glory to see on that last day, on that glorious day. And in the meantime, Jesus has called us as his disciples to be his prophetic witness. And so it is by our good works that the Father is seen. It is by our good works that the Father is seen. But we still must ask the question so we know that when he is seen our works qualify as being good works but what's the best work what's the best good work we could be doing what's the most light we can shine what's the best salt we can offer the best salt we can be well we must ask, the, must ask the question, what act in redemptive history most visibly demonstrated the heart and holiness of God and has, co- and has caused God the Father to be praised by multitudes? What act? The incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ the Son. It is in this that we see the most fullest expression of his heart towards sinners and his standard of righteousness. The cross marks that standard. We see his holiness in it all. In fact, we call, the church through history has called the proclamation of this event or these collective events, the gospel, the good news. So see the connection. What, what is the best work we could do? What, how do we know our work is a truly good work? Well, we know, at the very least, that it must be tied to the good news, the gospel. Therefore, the best good work we can do, the most light we can shine, the best salt we can offer, again, is to give the very gospel that calls the world to repentance And will save to the utmost. This is the prophetic message we've been given. With this word, we will bear witness to the kingdom of God and will hold high the Lord and his righteousness. In giving the gospel, it must be complete. It must be complete. Earlier I stated specifically that in the gospel we see both his heart towards sinners, his compassion and his mercy, his grace, but we see his holiness. And the cross must never be stripped of that sight. Jesus says in John 12 that it is the judgment of the world. His very his own crucifixion was the judgment of the world because that is the standard by which sin must be repaid. That is the standard, the only standard by which sins could be forgiven because He is holy and righteous far above every created being and we have spurned Him. We have rejected Him. We have rebelled against His law, His perfect standard for holy and right living and the cross marks His judgment. And so we as salt and light, we must leave a taste in the mouths of the world. Some will hate that taste. In the same way that the aroma of Christ is an aroma of life to some and death to others, some will spit us out. You are the salt of the earth though. You must remain salty. You are the light of the world. You must shine brightly, and many will hate you for it. Many would rather live in darkness where they can hide with their sins and their idolatry. And yet, you are the light of the world. There is, there is no way out of the law of Christ that we have received. We must walk faithfully and obediently in the will and ways of Jesus. We must live in the role that he has given us. And so, if you have heeded the call of Christ... If you have left the crowd and have been joined to him, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. May you and I glorify God in all that we say and do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you please... Again, have your will and your way among us now. I pray that we would heed your call and that we would be freshly reminded of it daily, that we would not spurn you or rebuff you, but that we would gladly accept the hand that you've dealt us as your people. We are no longer our own, but belong to you. And so we... Do pray that you would use us, that we would be tools in your hand, vessels for your work. And we ask and plead that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We acknowledge and confess that it is through us that you've chosen to do this very work. And so I pray that as your people, we would gladly give of ourselves to you, always. We are your possession, we are no longer our own. I pray that this year in particular would be marked by um, a particular saltiness and a particular lightness of your people. We wanna be faithful. Forgive us for our lackadaisicalness, Forgive us for our distractions and for the things that just consume our hearts and our minds, the trivial things. Lord, teach us to uh, take serious the call you've extended to us, that we might uh, live lives worthy of the gospel, that we might be pleasing to you, that we might be salt and light. Please, Lord Jesus, be magnified within us, and through us, for your name's sake. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.